Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Bill Werner and Hamlin University political science professor David Schultz take us inside the war of words between Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Donald Trump. And Mike Grimm has a 2016 Summer Olympic preview with a focus on Minnesotans competing for the gold. But first, race relations, police use of force, and where the country goes from here are topics weighing on the minds of Minnesotans and people throughout the country after Philando Castile's death in Falcon Heights and last week's shooting of five Dallas police officers. I recently had a compelling conversation with two people at a protest outside the governor's residence in St. Paul about those issues and more. I'm, I'm afraid of a, of a civil war in America. Uh, and it really resonated really strong with me yesterday, excuse me, yesterday morning while looking at, at the news, uh, the morning news shows, and getting uh, the information that I got about what happened in Dallas. Uh, I didn't care when I first heard about it. You know, well, you know, about time the cop knows how we feel, you know, now they're being gunned down. But yesterday morning when I seen those five officers and I seen their faces and they told me that, you know, one officer's name was whatever, uh, he was the father of four, one officer was just married two weeks ago, I, and I started thinking, these folks left some folks one day and got dressed and went to work, and they're That's never right. coming home, you know. Yeah. Uh, the guy, they profiled him that did the shooting. That is a major concern of mine right now. Not the long wolf thing, but I believe this guy, from the information I got off TV, what happened here in St. Paul was his final straw. And I believe there's other people out there now, their frustrations, they're so fed up that they could be to the point of that final straw. Just so happened this guy in Dallas, he had resources, he had training, he knew what to do and how to do to cause this damage. Another thought I had with it was, no one knew that this cop was gonna kill this guy in Minnesota. Not all the way in Dallas. It happened, it made the news, and then they're protesting in Dallas two days later. So the guy who did the shooting, he only had two days to prepare and get ready. And how many more people, black people and maybe some white people, that's so fed up with the way things are going in America that they're to the edge right now. And once we start that, let's shoot the cop, the cop shoot us, let's shoot the cop, I have no choice. I'm involved even though I don't want to be. I'm involved because I'm a black man, you know? And I could be a black man with a black brother and a black son that's a policeman. Yeah. But I'm, I have no choice. I don't, I don't want this country to get to that point that I got to fear, you know, coming out and being hurt or, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I, I guess I'm here right now to answer your original question, mostly out of fear. Uh, fear and, uh, and uh, paranoia that I've I never felt before. Well, you mentioned a little bit ago, too, that you have been in an incident where police roughed you up. Yes. And yet, you said that you were here not knowing exactly how you felt. How do you have that ambiguity or uncertainty when it's happened to you personally where it sounds like you were assaulted by police? Yes. How do you not have bitterness? My bitterness and my anger was toward the individuals. I don't go with that 
blanket statement, all men in blue is the enemy. I don't believe that. I believe some little boys admired someone when they were growing up, a policeman, a family member, whatever, and they, I want to grow up and serve. But what I think has happened in the service, even though it's still in the police car, to serve and to protect, they mean that and they practice that in their neighborhoods, with their families, with their children. You go into the cop's neighborhood, nobody's going to stand on the corner and sell crack cocaine all day or two days in a row. It's not going to happen. You're not going to open up adult bookstores. You're not going to open up predatory loan companies. You know, to just, It's not going to happen in the neighborhood. And I think somewhere down the line, to serve and protect is personal. You're not going to do it to my friends and my family. But now it's time to go to work. And I put on my bulletproof vest and I put on my 9mm lot, my helmet and stuff, and I go down in their neighborhood. You know, and how can you tell me that this is the highest crime rate? This is where all of this is going on, and this is where we're going to put all of our police resources, we're going to put more patrols, but nothing changes. And if a cop would pull me over tonight, I don't know you how to act. I don't know what to do. I'm going to cut all the inside lights on. I'm going to, you know, uh, and I believe, I believe it's necessary for my survival. I, but by the same token, I don't believe all cops are bad. And I believe that if this group here, some of these good, smart people who know how to organize and put stuff together, one of the goals should be coming up with a gateway for the guys in blue to be standing out here and be a part of this. For those that, those yeah. that, but when I say bring them in and agree, those that agree with what we agree with, but what do we agree with? If the police came right now, there's some people here that will embrace it with open arms. Thank you for being part of what we're doing. There's some other people that, what the hell is the cops doing? Right. You know, and it was, you know. Yes, and they would have hatred toward them yeah. because they're completely prejudiced against anyone in the uniform. Yes. Let me ask that the two of you were talking about having been around long enough to have witnessed and experienced what happened during the civil rights movement. How does this and what's happening in America feel different to you than the civil rights movement felt to you? It's heartbreaking. I mean, we're both 64. He's black and I'm white. We just met and we're having this beautiful conversation because both of us have been around to see that it's a very complicated issue. And there have been so many, so much money thrown at the problem, social programs. We, you know, we have a black president right now, black attorney general. And we see it, we see that when something like this happens, which is heartbreaking, the response is actually on both sides, black and white, one of prejudice. Because, and, and it would be, like I was saying like, I don't see myself as white. I, I see myself as, as, you know, this kind of European polyglot of different countries and, and, and some of that culturally. And but, a unique individual. <laughs> yeah, and I believe that's how you would like to be. I mean, that's how individual black men should also be perceived as themselves, as individuals. And, and I'm sure the police would love to be perceived as you perceive them, you know, as individuals, as people, as human beings. And so I think there's a kind of, I'm not from St. Paul, but I think, I think there's a kind of tonight where it's peaceful and people are singing and dancing, a sweetness about the fact that the cops have blocked off the street so that everybody could, you know, experience the feeling of support for one another. Um, but I was afraid, even though I'm living a, <laughs> the summer just a block away, I was afraid to come over here. 
you know, and last night people got hurt. And I think, you know, I got tear gassed it, protesting the Vietnam War in the, in the in 1970, and uh, I was in New York for 9-11. I've seen a lot of tragedy in my life. And honestly, I think, and, and this is like so corny, but you go to church and I go to church, and I think it's time for the whole country to start talking to God and and ask for help and and stop and talk to each other just the way we have. You know, maybe there's something actually good and positive to come out of this, which is talk to the people closest to you on the street, in stores, in your community, and everybody calm down and show some kindness. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Sometimes a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board. It was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org, a charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects, benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Along with all the other extraordinary political happenings this week, there was a war of words between a U.S. Supreme Court justice and a candidate for president. Ruth Bader Ginsburg called Donald Trump a faker and said she, quote, can't imagine what the country would be with Donald Trump as our president. Trump responded with a pointed retort on Twitter. Bader Ginsburg later expressed regret, saying her remarks were ill-advised and in the future she'll be more circumspect. Eminem's Bill Werner talked to Hamlin University professor David Schultz about the political and governmental implications of this week's exchange. The comment that the uh, Supreme Court justice made about Donald Trump, uh, does this cross the line? Yeah, it was clearly inappropriate. and, and um, we, we, we don't usually see... Um, sitting Supreme Court justices make these types of comments um, about presidents or about politics. I mean, we hold out this myth, whether or not it's true, but we hold out this myth that the Supreme Court justices are supposed to be above politics, they're supposed to maintain neutrality, and her comments outright criticizing Donald Trump really did cross that line. And, and it not only undermines the, the legitimacy of the court or her perceived neutrality, but think in terms of the fact that there are lots of cases that might come before the Supreme Court um, which involve the President of the United States. You know, just in this last year or so, we've had Congress, last couple of years, challenge the President's authority on immigration issues. We've, um, or states have challenged the President on immigration issues, or the Affordable Care Act has been challenged, and the same thing in the future. And so she may be having to judge on, on executive orders issued by potentially a, a President 
Donald Trump, and it's already looked like she has perhaps um, undermined her neutrality with the statements that she uh, made about Donald Trump. Well, in that case, Professor, what should she do if, if in fact, Donald Trump were to be elected president? And I understand we're doing some hypotheticals here, sure. but, but let's, let's proceed with it anyway. Uh, if Donald Trump were to become president, should she recuse herself from any cases that involve the president? Well, under, under normal circumstances, you would expect somebody should recuse themselves and say that, that the, even though there's no real conflict of interest in terms of financial gain, for example, but the perception may be that you have already, you're already biased against President Trump and therefore may be required to sort of step aside. But when it gets to sort of this, this issue of kind of perceived bias, um, these are harder ones. Um, and Justice Scalia, for example, was hugely criticized for refusing to recuse himself um, with some cases, even though he went duck hunting you know, with, with Dick Cheney. And so, and so here, I would say the normal rules would be to say that you have to think about conflicts of interest, not only with real bias, but perceptions of bias. And this is going to be a tough choice um, for Justice Ginsburg, um, if, if, again, if it were Donald Trump, because if she were to, to vote um, on a matter that involves Donald Trump or his presidency and vote against him, there'll be allegations or claims that she did so because of, of pre-existing bias. If, if, if that's the case, and presumably in things like that, there'd probably be a firestorm of criticism, uh, but... If she were not to recuse herself, um, th- there's really no recourse, is there, for the opposition? There is, yeah, there, there is no recourse in the individual case. Now, okay, recourse, fair enough. Right now, there, now, the recourse right now perhaps could be um, if, if somebody truly believes that she has crossed the lines, um, that the Senate or rather the House of Representatives could move for articles of impeachment and to try to remove her as a, as a, as a Supreme Court justice. That would, of course, require um, getting a majority of the House to agree to that and then two-thirds of the Senate um, you know, to convict her of their articles of impeachment. High I, bar. Yeah, very, very high bar. Very unlikely it's going to happen. Um, but that would be the only sort of recourse that we would have right now um, outside of her sort of voluntarily deciding that she's either going to recuse herself or deciding that, yes, in fact, she crossed the line and maybe she has to think about whether or not that hurts her capacity to serve on the court or to, or hurts the court in general. Now, we have spent a lot of time on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Let's spend some time on Donald Trump as well in the, issue, in, in the interest of fairness. Uh, when he said, when he tweeted, Justice Ginsburg of the U.S. Supreme Court has embarrassed all by making very dumb political statements about me. Her mind is shot. Resign. That's quoting Donald Trump's tweet. Is that appropriate? He probably also went beyond what he should do. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question, again, what Ginsburg said was inappropriate, but Donald Trump also making personal attacks on Supreme Court justices um, also undermines the, the legitimacy of, of, of the Supreme Court um, in the sense that judge. Um, the Supreme Court is supposed to be respected by the president. You know, we go back to the days of when when Eisenhower was president, for example. He disagreed with several of the Supreme Court decisions regarding uh, integration, but at the end of the day, sent in federal troops, you know, to enforce desegregation orders in Little Rock, Arkansas, back in the 50s. And so presidents um, are, are expected to work with work work with the Supreme Court, work with the justices. And so here we're really seeing a situation where both 
Ginsburg and Trump exceeded the boundaries regarding what they should do in terms of respecting members of the of, of other branches. That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. So Scott, in just one more way, this year's presidential campaign is way out of the ordinary, to say the least. Thank you, and we'll hear a little bit more from Bill later in the show. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. doing your surgery is over oh it's over what happened hi mr detweiler dr newman here you have a new knee it went great you'll be up and around before you know it and it's all because of you uh what did i do you were captain of team detweiler you told us everything we needed to know your medical history your allergies and prescription meds you asked me tons of questions what your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2016 Summer Olympic Games are fast approaching, set to take place in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil next month. Millions of Minnesotans will follow storylines that include a handful of local athletes who are competing there. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm tells us exactly how we can follow some of these personal stories on TV. Scott, NBC is the national television rights holder for the Olympic Games. That means all of the competition we watch will take place on the stations that are part of that family. As for some of the local plots to follow, CARE 11 and the Twin Cities will be the place to watch for most of Minnesota. Dave Schwartz is a sports anchor and sports reporter for CARE 11, and he will be in Rio bringing live reports and taped features back to Minnesota. Schwartz says he's looking forward to his second career Olympics assignment. The first came in Russia in 2014. He says one of the things that may surprise people is the preparation and planning that goes into place starting months ahead of him and his colleagues even leaving for the big trip. Basically where it starts is when we found out, I think somewhere around January, we found out we were going to be going to the Olympics, and we get a list. So it, it gets passed down. Eric Perkins, our sports director, did a phenomenal job on the Olympics for, I think he went to five, if I'm not correct. It might be less, might be more. But so he had a list that he'd compiled over the years that was passed down to him from Tim McNiff when he did the beat. So it just keeps getting passed down. And so you get the list. 
and you start looking through it immediately. You start, okay, this person's no longer competing. This person, okay, here's a person we need to add in here. And it the list changes. I mean, it, you get people added to the list because you'll get people, you know, I mean, we had one athlete last week. I, um, she was a, let's see, a distance runner from St. Cloud State, Wisconsin, from Wisconsin, but St. Cloud State. They emailed me and said, hey, she's competing tonight. She didn't end up making the, the team. Gabrielle Grunewald, I believe is her name. She didn't end up making it, but... Um, but we found out like a week earlier that they oh, don't forget about her. So the list changes a lot. You scratch some off, you add some, and then it's about making contacts. It's about, it's like anything else, Mike. You know, if you, if you get face to face with these athletes, the better you know them, the better the answers are going to be back. And especially I found like when I went to Sochi, they're always, you know, when you're traveling abroad, you're constantly looking for something familiar whether it's a sign, whether it's a building, if it's a face, even better. And so if you know these athletes ahead of time and then that you get into that surrounding with them and they see a familiar face that they remember, they're coming right to you. And so you get great interviews with people, you get access that you wouldn't that, that other people don't get just because you got to meet the athletes. And that for for me, for what I'm doing, that's the biggest part. It's it's getting to know the athletes and their and their stories are all so much fun to tell. And so much fun to just get to meet them and see what they're trying to do. They're, they're ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And we'll look forward to a lot of those stories, certainly with the local connection, uh, track and field and swimming and whatever else. And then you add in Lindsay Whalen and her teammates. There's, you know, several from the Lynx. Um, and I know you're tied in with them anyway. You, you, uh, you cover them uh, as committed as any uh, outlet uh, around. So that also, I would assume, is something you're looking forward to, to see uh, these athletes compete for, for another gold medal in, in women's hoops. More than anything about women's basketball, I'm looking forward to seeing the dynamic between Gino Ariema and Cheryl Reeve, because you talk about two of the best women's basketball minds that we have today, and two very strong personalities who know how they want to do things. And I actually asked a little teaser. I asked Sylvia Fowles about that when we talked to her, and she said, I said, well, what's going to happen if there's a disagreement? Because inevitably coaches have disagreements. What's going to happen when one of them wants to run one thing one way and one of them wants to do it the other? And she said, it's going to be like a divorced married couple. Gino's going to the couch because Cheryl will win the fight. <laughs> That's it right there. That, that'll be fun as well. Um, as you go, there are several local angles, but then uh, not only local Minnesota angles, but then real local angles. It might be of interest. You know, you, you, I guess part of your job is bringing us in Minnesota to Rio. So do you have to do some scouting from that angle too? That's a big part of what we're going to do, actually, it's that you say that. It, it, part of my job, and it's a great part of it, is to show the people at home how much fun this experience can be. And it is fun. There's a lot around it that, that's iffy. You know, you have to do so much. Uh, you hear so much ahead of time about the bad. You don't always hear the good because good news doesn't move. Bad news moves. You know, that, that's why people turn on the television, unfortunately. So we're going to get there, and it's going to be a phenomenal experience, and it will literally be my job to say, Look at how much fun we're having. Look at how great this is. Look at how beautiful this country is. When we went to Russia, it was, look at how accommodating these people are. You know, and I think I go back to Russia a lot because that's my only experience at the games, but the perception of what Russia was and who the people were were so vastly different than what I experienced over there. Mm -hmm. The country was beautiful. The people were so kind and so cognizant that they were on the world stage. I had one young journalism student who was actually just watching me do a live shot, and he came over and spoke English and said, hello and he said can you tell everybody at home how nice we are and how nice this place is mm. and, I, and they knew 
And so for me, that's, that's the most exciting part. It's, it's getting out. It's seeing a different culture that I've never experienced. It's getting way, way outside your comfort zone. And that's when you have the most fun and you come back with the best memories. From a programming standpoint now, um, a lot of your work will be during your local newscast, but then the time change is not what it has been for some others, right? So we'll get to watch on NBC uh, live events that are going on at roughly the same time they're really happening, right? Yeah, and, it, and that's wonderful for us because like we, when we were in Russia, we had, to, we had a list by the computer of, okay, today it's... February 7th and February 8th right. because when we would do when I would do my eight o'clock in the morning live shot local time in Russia it was 10 p.m. back here so in eight o'clock in the morning I was trying to remember and talk about things that happened for me the day before so this time it's nice it's a two-hour difference no big deal we'll experience it we'll go talk to the athletes and then we'll be able to bring the stories right uh, here to everybody in Minnesota that's Dave Schwartz from Care 11 in the Twin Cities on Minnesota Matters Scott and Mike will be joined next week by Dave Schwartz as well for more on Olympic coverage. More Minnesota Matters after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Civil rights, constitutional rights, and Americans' right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness have been on a lot of people's minds in the aftermath of the police shooting of Philando Castile and the killing of five officers in Dallas. MNN's Bill Werner has some thoughts. I wonder if the founders of our nation ever envisioned that the Second Amendment might be used in this way. It is almost horrifying to think that the Dallas gunman, in a perverse, distorted sort of way, might somehow have been exercising each of our constitutional rights to defend ourselves from a government which is taking away the liberties of some Americans. And the gunman made the point by killing innocent officers who likely had no part in the offense. And I, boy, and I, a tooth for a tooth, vote for me and I'll set you free. Jesus Christ, in his Sermon on the Mount, said it was so written in the law, but that was to change, that whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. This is the only way to stop the escalation of hate and violence and hate and more violence. What we are now seeing displayed in this nation on both sides, if you will, of this conflict. And yet, there are limits to the indignities that a person or any group of people are able to bear. My country tears of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. 
Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims cried. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom ring. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. The good doctor did not mention the expansive wheat fields of Minnesota, nor the towering palisades of Lake Superior, nor the great cities along a father of waters which flows to places where slaves were once stabled. But it seems that we are as guilty as all the rest. I believe that some of this wealth that's accumulated here on Summit Avenue, one of the richest places, I believe, in the nation, were on the backs of black and native people in this country. So how dare you not come out? How dare you not be here? Not even acknowledge that we are in your neighborhood. But the problem is in all of us, starting with me. And it makes no difference whether our address is Summit Avenue or James Avenue North. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <laughs>